nailed to the cross, amen. All right, we're looking tonight for our first preacher this evening. It's going to be Brother Zach Huskins. Y'all make Brother Zach welcome as he comes to preach the first message tonight. Well, they say save the best for last, so I'm glad I went first. <laughs> You'll bear with me just a minute. I'll get myself put together here. If you have your Bible tonight, I would ask you to turn to the book of Luke. I've got a very familiar passage of scripture the Lord laid on my heart this morning. It'll be Luke chapter number 2. And I'm going to start in verse number 8. It says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. So tonight I have one question for you. Why shepherds? Why was the news of Christ's birth revealed to the shepherds first? We know this passage extremely well, especially during this time of year. Anyone who's seen a Christmas play or a special on television or even attended a worship service in December, knows the story of Christ's birth. We know the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds as they tended their flock to announce the birth of the prophesied Messiah. Now when we think of the circumstances that surround Christ's time on earth, we realize that nothing about his human life denoted a king. He was born in a stable, not a kingdom. He slept in a manger, not a crib. He was rejected and despised by man, not welcomed and worshipped. He didn't have an earthly kingdom. In fact, he didn't have an earthly home at all. The news of his birth, we know that King Herod even wanted him killed. Throughout history, we hear stories of kings and the legions of followers who willingly lay down their lives to protect their king and his kingdom. But there's only ever been one king who defied the ways of man and laid down his life for his kingdom. Bearing this in mind, we see a passage that news of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem was first made known to shepherds. So why would God choose shepherds? What about the lowly shepherd in the field was so important that God would see fit to reveal them the birth of Christ? I believe there are several reasons that they were the first chosen. First, I believe that it demonstrates God's immense love. A love for the entire world, even the least among society. We know that shepherds weren't well-liked. We know they were looked down on. We know they were marginalized and considered the lowest of society. Now it's true that God sent his son Jesus for all people, rich or poor. 
God specifically demonstrated his love for all mankind by revealing the glorious news to the lowest of below. I think perhaps another reason may be they were humbled by it. God knew that these lowly men wouldn't be full of themselves, such as the religious crowd would be. He knew that they would be honored just to be considered. We know that God delights in using the humble to accomplish his will. Do you see the comparison I'm making now? These shepherds, they had nothing to offer. Nothing fit for a king at all. Much like we are, we're worthless on our own accord. But there's one other comparison that I want to make tonight. And I feel like this is the most important comparison that I could find. We also know that there are stories of shepherds throughout God's word. King David was a shepherd. There's no coincidence that he draws comparison to God as the shepherd. Now, can you imagine how difficult that job must be? Most of us take for granted just how blessed we are in our own job. I know I have it good. My job may be dangerous, but I can get out of the cold if I want to. It's been said during the time of Jesus' birth that taxes were high, wages were low, hypocrisy was rampant, and honesty was rare. Freedom was gone. Roman occupation was hard. The rich were getting richer and the poor were struggling even more. Morality was falling. Rebellion was brewing. Cruelty was reigning. It sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? You see, shepherds left the comfort of a human home where they belong to be with the sheep in their environment. Sheep are notoriously foolish animals. In fact, if a sheep isn't watched closely at all times enclosed in safety, and constantly protected, they foolishly walk to their own death, just like we do. And if that doesn't sound like me tonight, I don't know what will. Jesus left his home in heaven to be with us in an earthly environment. As humans, shepherds hold the right to sleep, eat, and drink among other humans. Shepherds spend enough time with sheep, helping them with their circumstances and their environment, so much that they even end up smelling like the sheep. Shepherds lay aside the right and dignity that go along with their human identity to live among sheep. As God, Jesus had the right to continue to enjoy the benefits merited by his identity in heaven. Instead, he chose to lay aside the rights that go along with his divine identity to live among us. And in the end, the same people that he willingly came and loved would want him crucified. So tonight I want to ask you one thing. What magnitude of love is this? That God would become flesh to live amongst sheep. In this Christmas season, I would encourage you not only to think of the Christmas story as you've always heard it, but what it meant for Jesus to leave that comfort of heaven, to live amongst foolish people and die for their sins. got your Bible real quick? 
Genesis chapter 46. Genesis chapter 46. This is the story of Joseph, who's been in the prison, betrayed, sold by his brothers to Egypt. They threw him in the pit, right, and sold him. He went to Potiphar's house. Her, his wife lied on him, slandered him, threw him in prison. But God raised him out of the prison to be the governor over all the land. And he brought his brothers, right, down to Egypt to buy corn. And Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. They bowed to him. He put him through a series of tests. And finally, he sends the whole family, brings the whole family down to Egypt. In Genesis 46, verse 34, this is what he tells his brothers as they're getting ready to go and stand before Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a picture, and Egypt is a picture of the world. That you shall say, thy servant's trade hath been about cattle from our youth even until now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. Do you see what the world sees when they see a shepherd? They see an abomination. When they see Jesus, he said, I am the good shepherd. I am the great shepherd. I am the chief shepherd. That's why, Brother Zach, he appeared to the shepherds, the humble, the lowly. Jesus came to give his life. Those shepherds are an abomination to the world. Amen? And as sinners, we're an abomination unto God. But he came and revealed himself to we that were lowly and sinful, that we might be saved. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. Thank God for our shepherd. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. All right. Our next preacher is Brother Daniel Engel. Y'all make Brother Daniel feel welcome. Good evening. Well, it's been good to be in the Lord's house tonight, hasn't it? Well, I'm thankful we serve a risen Savior. I'm thankful that during Christmas time we can think about what He did for us and the gift, everything that He came and was born for the express purpose of the cross, that He could save us there. Another familiar passage of Scripture tonight, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, in chapter number one. We'll also be jumping back to Luke number 2 somewhere as well. But Matthew chapter number 1 and verse number 18 to start out with there tonight. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18. The word says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold... The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. And he heard not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. For just a few moments here tonight, I'd just like to think about four thoughts and think about this, of I'm dreaming of a right Christmas. 
Let's pray. Most kind and gracious and dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again for this privilege. Lord, we had to be gathered back in your house here tonight. Father, we thank you for all the many blessings you've given to us, dear Lord. Lord, most of all for salvation. Lord, that you sent your Son to this earth and shed his blood for our sins that we could have everlasting life. Father, forgive us for our sins, dear God, we do pray. Forgive us for the times that we have failed you. Lord, take the reading of your word here tonight. Bless it and use it as you see fit. Lord, just take the reins of this service. Let all things be done to glorify you. And Father, be careful to give you the praise and the glory and honor for all things. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. First off tonight, just got four quick things as we think about a right Christmas. The first thing tonight we think about a right Christmas includes producing room for Jesus. In the book of Luke, chapter number 2 and verses number 6 and 7, it says, And so it was, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, could you imagine how the story would have been so much different? Of course, many of you know I have the part of the innkeeper in the Christmas play. And to think about whenever they come up and mention how that there is a family that's here and that she's with child. They've traveled a long way, that they are tired. And it begins to offer an excuse and say, the inn is full. There's nothing that I can do. The Roman census has caused this. I want to say that it wasn't for him there, but the innkeeper, he very well could have had a hotel and an inn full of guests that eventually soon left and were quickly forgotten. But my, how he missed the guest that he would never have forgotten himself if he had been allowed to stay there that night. It said once before back in the old days there was a whaler, one who would be out in the sailing ship and go out when the whales came to church there one morning and a preacher began to preach and afterwards talk to this whaler and come to find out that that whaler did not really have much of an impression about the service and the whaler said, the preacher said to be honest with you the whole time he was preaching I was just thinking about where I was going to find my next whale. Well, how about that? Many times, whenever we come to the things of God, that's where our minds and our thoughts are. We don't have room in our hearts. We don't have room in our thoughts for what Christ can come and He can do for us. What do we have that's filling our rooms in our, in our hearts and in our lives for Christ? Have we filled our heart with other things? Have we hung out a no vacancy sign for Christ? Or are we going to produce room for Him there tonight? Next, we think about a right Christmas includes praising Him. That is, worshiping Him. Book of Luke, chapter 2, and verse number 8. They were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, shall find the way wrapped in swollen clothes lying in a manger. Well, notice, firstly there tonight, we think about praising and worshiping the angels, worship God whenever he was born there tonight. Next we think about, in verse... Jump down to verse uh, number 14, verse number 15. It came to pass, as angels were gone away from them to heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the same which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Next we know, sir, tonight the shepherds, I believe they would have kneeled. They would have praised God. They would have given God the glory at the news that he had come, that the Savior had come. That was theirs well. You would go back to the book of Matthew. You'd find the wise men. Whenever they came and they brought the gifts to Jesus, you'd also find that they also praised and worshipped the Savior that was there. Oh, we think about that there are many things that can be done in this world by many different people. A potter can take a lump of dirt, a lump of clay, and can mold it and make it up into an elaborate vessel that can be worth hundreds of dollars even potentially. It's said that Longfellow 
The great author could take a blank sheet of paper and write a poem that could end up being worth thousands upon it. Rockefeller could sign his name to a check that would have been worth a fortune. But only God through the blood of the Son can take a sinful, worthless life and turn it into a blessing to the world. But only if we're going to give him the chance to do so. Oh, if only we can think about what God has done for us. And how we could fill our, our speech with praise for him. We could fill our hearts with praise and a worship that is there for them as well. It said that at one point in time there was a man that had cancer of the tongue. And he had to go to one of the great clinics of the nation. And he decided that he was going to take his tongue out from him. And he was there in the room. And of course, being one of these clinics where a lot of people would come to learn. He was surrounded by students and professors. And they're all getting to watch. And there, just as he was getting ready to put him under, they began to look at him and said, And the doctor told him, Now you're getting ready to lose your tongue. It's going to be your last opportunity that you have to say anything. Is there anything that you'd like to say? The man looked up at the doctor the staff, the students, the professors, and he yelled out, Praise be to Jesus Christ throughout all eternity. Oh, if that even the worship and the praise that God, we would have for God would even feel and take up our last breath that we'd have for Him. A right Christmas there tonight also includes the presenting of gifts. The book of Matthew in chapter number 2, in verse number 1 and 2, So now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. Verse number 9, When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now we see there tonight about the wise man. I know it's not the same time as probably Christ was about two years old. But still think about the gifts that they had brought and presented unto the Christ child. We think about gold. It is a kingly gift signifying his right to the throne of Israel and ultimately to the throne of the whole universe. Frankincense. Being a type of incense signifying his role as the greatest high priest who would offer his blood in the holiest of holies for your sin and for my sin. Also notice myrrh. It's a bitter perfume associated often with death and the embalming process. Signifying the purpose that he came to this earth as a perfect sacrifice for sin for you and I. And that brings us there to thinking about the ultimate gift. And that was the fact that he came to this earth, shed his blood for our sins. Why? So that you and I wouldn't have to worry about a devil's hell. So you and I wouldn't have to worry about if things were left behind here when it comes to the tribulation and the end times that's there. But we have a home on the other side where all those who have been saved and blood bought have gone on ahead of time. Oh, that is the ultimate gift that's there. And here we have to think about and ask ourselves, what are we giving back to him? Here we are some 2,000 years later. We know him far better than even the wise men did. We've got the entire Bible, all the New Testament, that testifies about what he did. And what are we going to give them back there in return? It is said many years ago there was a series of old church buildings in southern Illinois that had to be torn down. They had reached the end of their life. The buildings were old and they were going to be dilapidated. It was going to be much better for them to build new buildings. They began to tear them down. And they noticed in the cement, they began to notice that there was a red substance that was there. And they began to pique their interest and they decided to have it tested. And they come to find out that it was indeed human blood. 
what had happened even during the construction process. In the cold, the man, their hands would get frozen and begin to crack, but yet they still kept on working and kept on pressing on, pouring even the very blood of their body into the work that God had put for them. Well, He gave the ultimate gift for us, His life on the cross. The least that we can do is give our lives back to Him. <coughs> Fourthly there tonight, we think about a right Christmas includes the proclaiming to others about Jesus. We saw there tonight the angel was the first one that came and proclaimed to the shepherds what was taking place. How that God's promised son was coming there. The shepherds, when they left, it said they went out and proclaimed abroad. They began to share with those round about what had happened to them. They began to share their experience that is there. Many years ago, there was a senator in Washington, D.C. that was going to have an ambassador from Belgium to come over to his home for a meal for dinner that night. Now, the senator's father was an old-time, devout Christian man who was a soul winner. And the senator, of course, being a little leery and being a little concerned, he just asked his father, he said, Now, please be careful what you say, and please be careful what you do. I've got this dignitary that's coming over. And, of course, the ambassador came and arrived with great pomp and circumstance and came with great honor. And a short time later, the senator's father came down and was introduced to the ambassador. And, of course, he promptly forgot what he was told, and he boarded out to the ambassador saying, Are you a Christian? The senator became embarrassed, but the ambassador himself was also very courteous and kind to the man. Several months later, the senator's father died. Being the father of a senator, a man of some renown, there were many, many flowers and wreaths that were sent there to the service. But above all of those stood one wreath that just stood out from all the rest. And on the card of this wreath it said, In memory of the only man in America who spoke to me about my soul. Signed by the ambassador of Belgium. Oh my, to think about this time of year. But with all the things that are taking place. Always sharing the true message that really matters before all that's there. I'm dreaming of a right Christmas this year. First off, we've got to make room in our hearts for Jesus. We've got to make room in our lives so that he can have that prominent place that he deserves that's there. We also know a right Christmas includes praising him. Worshiping him. Giving him the glory and the honor that is due. We also know that a right Christmas includes the presenting of the gifts. He presented His blood for us. Let us give our lives in return for Him. And rightly tonight, and that's lastly as we think about, a right Christmas includes proclaiming to others about Jesus. You and I have got the story, and we've got the answer to the world's issues and the world's problems. They're not going to find it in the government. They're not going to find it in alcohol. They're not going to find it in drugs. They're going to find it by the blood of Jesus Christ and in the gospel proclaimed in this word. You and I have got a responsibility to care for the souls of this world. Amen, preacher. All right, our next preacher, Brother Tyler Pittman. Y'all make Brother Tyler feel welcome. First of all, uh, this evening, I want to thank the Lord for an obedient wife. I feel like I should be preaching on the birth of Jesus. And uh, as soon as the other two preachers started preaching on that, my message is not on that. The devil hit me right immediately, said you're not where you're supposed to be. But my wife told me just because that's where they're at, that's not where you're supposed to be at. The Lord has you exactly where you're supposed to be. So I just want to thank the Lord for an obedient wife. Uh, But this evening we should be in Isaiah chapter number 41. Isaiah chapter number 41. I know this also is a pretty uh, familiar piece of scripture here as well. Uh, the Lord, I believe, will help us this evening through these 
couple of verses. Isaiah 41, uh, we're going to be looking at verse number 8. The Bible says, But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend, thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and called thee from the chief men thereof, and said unto thee, Thou art my servant. I have chosen thee, and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee, but be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. With God being our helper, I want to preach on this thought, from destruction to delivered, from destruction to delivered. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you, God, for allowing us to be back in your house just one more time. Lord, we thank you, God, for the messages we've heard this far. Lord and God, how they challenge us. And God, I pray that you'll help us, God, to ponder on it throughout the week. And Lord God, we thank you for the birth of Christ and God, what all you did for us. And Lord God, we thank you for sending us a deliverer, God, to this nation. Lord, and I thank you, God, for all that you do. Lord, help us now as we preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, I want to preach on this thought from destruction uh, to delivered. As a background, we see that uh, Isaiah here, he has spake about the judgment of Judah and the judgment of Israel for their sins and they will be captives of Babylon. But now he is talking about the restoration of Israel after the captivity. Uh, verse number one, I see that there is a great corruption that was taking place. The Bible says, keep silence before me, O islands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, then let them speak. Let us come near together unto judgment. Uh, so this evening, welcome to God's courtroom. Uh, this side of the church right here on the left, you guys are going to be the nations, the island nations over here. Uh, to my right over here, y'all are going to be the nation of Israel. Uh, and I want you to think about that as we preach. Uh, uh, so God is speaking here to the nations of Israel. He's speaking to the people on my left. He says, keep silence uh, before me. Uh, we're here coming near together in a judgment. Uh, we're going to decide who is guilty and who is punished and the, what the punishment and the judgment will be. Uh, we see that the nation, the island nations represent the far and distant nations. Uh, it's uh, every single nation that he's speaking to here. He says, keep silence uh, uh, before me. He's saying there's a problem of them speaking out of turn, I believe. Uh, they were talking too much, but they need to be silenced before God. And I think about how oftentimes we need to do that. Oftentimes we give God our problems and we talk to God and we complain about God and complain about what our problems are, but oftentimes we need to keep silence and let God do the talking. Uh, so here he's telling them, keep silence before me. I'm going to do the talking is what he's saying, oh, oh islands. And he says, let them people renew their strength. He's saying, I want y'all to come together. I want you to reason together, come up with the best argument you have, and after I talk, I'll give you opportunity to speak as well. Uh, so here he's telling them to renew their strength uh, because y'all are going to need it and then we see when we uh, we see that they had a, a tendency not to listen uh, as well God has already revealed himself to these nations but they didn't listen to him instead uh, they turned away from him and then we see he begins to ask them questions in verses two through four he says who raised up the righteous man from the east called him to his foot gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings he gave them as the dust to his sword and as driven to his bow. He pursued them and passed safely, uh, even by the way that he had not gone with his feet. Who hath wrought it and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? Uh, so here we see God begins to ask the nation, island nations questions. He says, who? Who did it? Who did it? Who raised up the man from the east? Who gave him uh, over the kings? Who pursued after them? Who wrought it and who done it? Uh, so here we see that if we study on this, people will argue that the righteous man from the east is either Cyrus or Abraham. I lean towards the Cyrus uh, of it here because Cyrus was born of the east of Babylon. 
Babylon. He was used by God, despite being a pagan leader, to overtake the nation after nation. And eventually he overtook Babylon, setting Israel free from captivity. Despite whether it was Cyprus or Abraham, it doesn't matter. Because God said, who did it? And then we see who, who did it. He says, I the Lord, the first and the last, I am he. Uh, here he is showing the nations that he is in uh, control. He's saying, I did it. I'm the one who created the nations. I'm the one who put the righteous man in the east. I'm the one who is controller over the nations and brings nations into existence. He says, I bring kings into power. I bring generation into existence. I am the beginning, the end, the alpha, the omega. Anything that happens, happens because of me. I am in control. I am that I am. And then verse number five, he says, the nations saw it and feared, and the ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came. Uh, they helped everyone, his neighbor, and everyone said to his brother, be of good courage. They then saw this righteous man that God had raised up uh, from the east, and they were afraid. And they turned each to each other, uh, opposing the righteous man which raised from the east, and comforted one another, saying, Be of good courage. They made themselves their own gods out of their own hands, whom they had believed would protect them. We see that they were corrupted, these nations were. Uh, they were corrupted by Satan. They were corrupted uh, by their own flesh. They were corrupted by the world. Instead of giving over to God and turning to God, they'd try to make themselves gods, uh, little gods, uh, little g-gods. Uh, they would make things out of their own hands uh, to encourage one another. That's why in verse number 6 it said that they helped one another and saying, being of good courage. And then verse number 7 it says, So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith, and he that smoothed it with the hammer, him that smote the anvil, saying, It is ready for soldering. And he fastened it with nails that it would be moved. Uh, they would make their own images, and they would make their own gods. And I believe today uh, it's the exact same. We'd rather turn to this world. We'd rather turn to money, our phones, anything else besides God. Uh, we would turn to anything uh, uh, besides God. Yeah, there was a great corruption that was taking place and the island nations I believe today represent those that are dying and lost but they are turning against the righteous Christ who is coming from the east in his second coming. Uh, but also we see that there is God's chosen in verse number 8. He says, Be thou Israel art my servant, but thou art Israel art my servant, Jacob whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham my friend. He then turns from uh, the island nations and turn towards the nations of Israel he begins to say but thou Israel you are my servant you are the one whom I have well chosen Jacob whom I have well chosen I believe it's important to understand the reason why he said Jacob and the importance of the name Jacob Jacob here we know was the youngest son of Isaac he had a brother by the name of Esau and it was custom that the birthright would go to the uh, oldest, uh, oldest son which would be Esau but Isaac was able to deceive Esau into trading the birthright for some soup. Uh, then Jacob deceived Isaac by pretending that he was Esau, and he received the final blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. And so we see that Jacob, he was a liar, he was a thief, he was a deceiver. Jacob was a sinner in the end. Uh, Jacob was a sinner. Uh, we see that God chose him to be his servant anyways, even though he was a sinner. God used Jacob anyways. Despite all the sins that the nation had occurred of Israel, they were still God's people and God's cho chosen. And then in verse number 9, he even reiterates, he says, I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. We see that he didn't cast them away because of their sins against God. They deserve to be cast away. We know the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Uh, but God chose not to 
cast them away and chose not to kill them because they were his chosen, they were his people. The Bible says, as I already said, the wages of sin was death. And we see that he is going to deliver them from the captivity of their sin. Israel, for the sake of the illustration today, you are the ones that were saved. While the nation, island nations over here are the ones that were lost, uh, You are, even though they are going to face judgment and destruction, I have chosen you to be my people. Uh, despite all the sins and all the things that you've done against the Lord, he's saying, I will, uh, in making your own gods, despite all your failures, I have still your God. And the last thing we see, God's our comforter. In verses 10, we see that he says, Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold in thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So we see that God is comforting uh, the nation of Israel right here. I think about how the nation of Israel could have seen the enemies and the destruction that was coming the way of the island nations. And they could have got fearful. They would be afraid that God was going to send that judgment upon them. But he says, fear thou not. And we see that God, through his comfort, there is a presence. Uh, His presence is always with them. He says, I am with thee. Uh, no matter what they go through, no matter what they face in, uh, in their life, and uh, no matter the trials and tribulations they go through, God's presence will always be with them because He has chosen them. And then he says, Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. We see that there's a personal relationship there. He is their God. He is your God. Uh, Just as well, he will be with you always. He is your God. And then he says, I will strengthen thee. When you feel weak and when you feel down and you feel like you can't fight the enemy, God will give you strength and he will help you. And he says, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. When you're so weak, uh, he will provide protection. When you're so weak that you feel like you can't go on, he will uphold thee. He will hold you up through the fire and through the trials and the tribulations you go through. And then verse 13, he says, For I, the Lord, thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Verse 14, Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, says the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Here we see in these verses, 10 through 14, he says, Fear not, uh, three times. He says, I will help thee three times. God will always help thee, and he wants you not to have to fear anything. As Pastor Darren said this morning, no matter what you're going through, you have nothing to fear because he will help thee, and he will be with you always. And then lastly, I see a promise uh, of him being our comforter. In verse 17, he says, When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear thee, hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers and high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness of a pool and the dry land springs of water, uh, that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this and the Holy One of Israel hath created it. So not only will God be with you in all your trials and your tribulations, but when you are needy, when you need water, when you need anything, God will go above all that you ask and He will go above all that He can do uh, for you and the needs that you have. All three messages, in all three, they read verses, fear not. In all three, fear not. Three messages, the last of them was the third message. You heard fear not three times. And three times you heard, I'll help thee. Help, Lord. He knows what that means. That could be the the biggest prayer. I'll never forget, we were in a service. God had been working mightily. I was just sitting there in the crowd. My dad was up. He said, Darren, come dismiss us. 
I walked up to the pulpit and I said, help, Lord, amen. He looked at me like, I just asked you to dismiss the service. And you said, help, Lord, amen. That was my prayer. Because I just felt like it wasn't over, that somebody was holding on to something and then it burst wide open, not because of what I did, no, because people got obedient to the voice of God. You've got to let the Lord do it, but you must humble yourself and ask him to help you. One time, living at home was my daughter. She, her name is Shelby. She needed gas for her Mustang. She had no money. She had no gas. She is not going to make it to school. I wanted her to, I knew she was out of gas, but I wanted her to ask me for it. So she said, bye, Daddy. I'm going to school. I said, bye, baby girl. She hugged me, kissed me, said, I love you. I said, I love you the most. She left, went out to that little car, heard the car door shut. And directly, she come right back in. I said, did you forget something? She said, I did. She went to her bedroom. I know she was working herself up to ask me for gas money. I don't know why that should be so hard, but sometimes humbling ourselves can be hard to do. She finally, she came through. She says, well, I'm off to school. I said, okay, great. I love you. Have a great day. Hugged her again. She goes, Dad, I'm out of gas, and I don't have any money. Could you give me $20 for gas? Well, I gave her like 40 bucks, and I said, whatever's left over, use it for whatever you want to. And you say, now, Pastor Darren, as a daddy, you knew that. You should have filled it up for her. Yeah, I could have. But I wanted her to realize what it was like to humble yourself and ask. Not so I could be, you know, authority over her, but though she could learn like I learn how God works. God wants us to ask him. He has, he has knowledge of what you need. Well, why don't he just give it to me? Because he wants you to ask. Ask and you shall receive. Amen? Seek and it shall be open unto you. Knock, amen? Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open unto you. That's what the Bible says. So sometimes God wants us to ask. You know what he'll do? He'll help us, amen? I want you to stand to your feet. There may be somebody tonight. Maybe you just need to come to the altar. You need to say, Lord, I've got something I need to ask. Lord, I'm seeking something. God, there's some knocking that I need to do right now, Lord. And if you go to somebody's house, do you just knock? Or do you knock repetitively? To get their attention. Maybe there's something tonight you need to come and pray for. Maybe you need to come thank him for something tonight. Folks are moving. I appreciate your obedience tonight. Appreciate these young men preaching the word of God tonight. They've helped me. And I appreciate it tonight. Let's pray. Father, as we bow on bended knee, Lord, we are seeking your face. The Bible's told us clearly, Father, that when we fear, Lord, if we would turn to you, we wouldn't be dismayed. God, you said you'd help us. You'd uphold us with the right hand of your righteousness. Lord, we can't hold ourselves. We can't stand ourselves. We're too feeble. We're too weak. We are inept. But Lord, thou art able. And Lord, I am poor and needy. Like Jacob, I am just a worm. What can I do? Crawling on the ground. But God, you can lift me. God, you can strengthen me. God, you can uphold me. Lord, you can help me with my fears and take away my fear and give me power and love and a sound mind. And Lord, you can bring healing and help into our lives. So Father, we come to ask you, 
God, there's a thing that we seek. God, you know what it is? It's private between you and I. And God, we pray. God, there's souls that need to be saved. God, I pray you'd save them. God, this church needs a time of revival, a time of refreshing, a time of anointing from God. Lord, only you can grant that, Father. We can't stir it up. We can't drum it up. We can't work it up. Father, it's about you. Tonight, Father, I pray, I pray that you'd create that hunger, that desire. So, Lord, tonight there are things that we're asking for. And, God, you said if we'd ask, Lord, that we'd find. Lord, we come seeking your face tonight, Lord Jesus, that we might find answers, find the answer of God, find the help of God. Lord, we need you tonight, God. Ask, Lord, seek, and then knock. God, we come knocking, asking, Lord, would you help us from heaven's throne? God, would you ascend to this lowly place? And God, would you move upon us tonight, Father? Your people that are afraid need your help. Lord, we love you. Thank you for these young men who's declared the truths of the word of God. Father, tonight we come before you and ask your help in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen.